Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host, Bank Rider, and today I am going to be talking about the recent Thunder Atlanta Hawks game, as well as some new trade rumors circulating. This time it is coming from the Asian Wojnarowski podcast. So, just going right into it, Thunder ended up playing the Atlanta Hawks last night, and this one really did not go in the Thunder's favor at all. They did not have Darius Baisley playing in this game. I don't think he's played at all in this second half of play so far. You also were missing the services of others such as George Hill. I mean, he's still gone. Myers Leonard, he was out of the equation, and you saw a lot of DNPs from some of your veteran guys. So anyways, you got Al Horford back, you got Lou Dort back, and the expectation was this would be a lot closer of a game than some of the previous ones we've seen where you kind of had to do some makeshift lineups because you had three plus starters out of the rotation. But anyways, they kind of did a pretty unique starting lineup that I was not expecting. They had Shea at the one, that's normal. Then you had Lou Dort playing at the two. He has not started at the shooting guard in ages. I cannot recall the last time he entered the starting unit as a starting shooting guard. He's always been at the three this season, but they dropped him back down so Alexei Pogachevsky could continue to start at the small forward spot. And then you had Isaiah Roby starting at power forward and Al Horford at the five. So you cut out Teo Maladone and Moses Brown's starting gigs. Maladon has had a starting gig pretty much since George Hill came down with his finger injury like a while ago. I think it was like January when that happened. So he has had it locked down. This is the first time he's kind of seen it taken away when he is on the active list. And then with Moses Brown, I mean, he just had that two-game stint because Horford was gone. Expectation was that whenever Horford came back, he'd probably reclaim the position, and he did. I'm actually kind of surprised that, you know, he didn't get another rest, to be quite honest with you. Coming off two, looked a little bit suspicious. A third one would have sealed the deal when it came to me. That would have meant that he would have been out the door. Probably could still be. But they had him starting, and it just wasn't working. Nobody could really connect with each other. The starting unit was just not able to stack up against Atlanta's. Atlanta had nine assists in the first eight minutes. Oklahoma City only had one. They inserted their second units in and there was actually kind of a fresh spark off the bench from players such as Ty Jerome and Teo Maladon. They were able to kind of splash home a couple triples but through the second quarter or entering it they were down 10 already 31 to 21 and I'm actually surprised they were able to do that because they were already down 17 in the first they were down 25 to 8 seemed like nobody could really find any rhythm but that's when like I said Ty Jerome and Maladon kind of came in and starred for the Thunder. And then in the second quarter, they actually put Shvi Mikhailuk in immediately. He didn't really have a big run in that second. They kind of pulled him. But yeah, he was kind of just sitting corner, doing whatever necessary. But nothing was really coming out of it. And it was really still just Ty Jerome and Teo Maladon igniting the offense. Because when you do have that second unit in, you got to find your Hamadou Diallo now that he's gone guess they were kind of revolving around those two to garner most of the plays but they couldn't really do that well I mean shooting percentages for both sides were pretty ugly 
in that second quarter. Neither side shot over 45%. I think Atlanta shot 45, Oklahoma City a little bit below the 40% mark. So entering halftime, the Hawks were up 61 to 41 thanks to a late 11 to 2 run by them. And in the third quarter, Oklahoma City, they had some rhythm and they looked like they might have been able to make some sort of comeback, not take the whole entire 20 point deficit out, but looked like they were on the right path. And then Atlanta, they went on a 12 to 3 run and that kind of put this one away pretty early and they were up 91 to 65 entering the fourth quarter. And in that fourth, Mark Dagnall just kind of went to his bench. He was experimenting with everybody in the lineup. She got to play 10 minutes in the quarter. Ty Jerome played the entirety of that quarter. Really, nothing much was coming out of it, though. They were down 20-plus, really, for that entire fourth quarter, and it was just too big to overcome. So, end up losing the game by 23, 116-93. For the Oklahoma City Thunder, they ended up dropping 217-23 on the season. 40 games through the year, and they still are in kind of a tie with the New Orleans Pelicans. They somehow keep losing, believe it or not, with the roster that they have assembled here. And it's very interesting because the NBA standings, typically what you look at is the head-to-head when it comes to tiebreaker scenarios. So if Team A has a 2-0 advantage on Team B, Team A is going to be ranked higher in the standings. It's a split right now. It is a 1-1 split. And I actually remember... Not too long ago, I think a couple days ago, there was this tiebreaker going on. And the NBA website had New Orleans above Oklahoma City. Now it's actually flipped. So I'm a little bit confused. Maybe there's a second tiebreaker that I don't really know about. But as of right now, the Oklahoma City Thunder is actually above the New Orleans Pelicans. They're 11. New Orleans is 12. That could be subject to change whenever the New Orleans Pelicans play again, barring that they win their next game and for the Atlanta Hawks they are on fire pretty much ran into one of the hottest teams in the NBA so you can't really blame them for falling a little bit short actually a lot more than just a little bit but Atlanta they have been on a roll since they pulled Lloyd Pierce out of the starting head coach position filled it in with interim head coach Nate McMillan and everything has been great with them defensively they have been sound that's what kind of got them here in this game. That's how they were able to blow the gasket off of this one. They're 7-0 since his his arrival. So they are probably the scariest team to look out for in the East as of right now. That could change, obviously, but no one else has a win streak like that in the Eastern Conference. So they have actually climbed from 14-20, and 20, looking like a team that may just go into a fire sale where John Collins should be a no-brainer trade to they're 21 and 10, uh 21 and 20 and John Collins probably shouldn't even be traded at this point because the connection with everybody has just been clicking they're about to get DeAndre Hunter back in the next couple of games they are looking very very strong and you still got guys like Danilo Gallinari who probably is going to go back to the bench but he has regained his confidence he kind of looks like his Oklahoma City Thunder self at least he has i'd say this past month or so so yeah they had a really good game for the thunder really for the thunder they just could never find the rhythm and they were getting good shots but they just were not falling they ended up shooting 36.2 percent on this game this was the second worst that they have shot all season long the worst game was against the dallas mavericks they shot 33.3 percent 
in that super low scoring game. I think they only had 78 points on the board. That's their season low, and it's about the lowest they've scored in about six years. So, yeah, that was a pretty bad one. So, they shot 36% on a lot more field goals in the last game because the percentages are not that much higher. But anyways, yeah, they struggled, and it was because Atlanta was just completely covering them for the full 48 minutes. They really could not breathe, and they had their number one option through Shea. I mean, it's kind of how all this works out. Shea is that number one guy pretty much all the time, and defenses are pretty much centering their game plan around stopping these high ball screens, stopping pick and pops, don't let Shea get into the perimeter, so they just cover him. They drench him. They don't allow any kickouts, or at least easy ones. And it either forces a really crappy layup or kick it out to Al Horford for one of his shots. And they played a very smart risk there because Shake could not buy a basket for pretty much that entire first half of the game. He only had four points through the first two quarters on one of nine shooting. So he made one field goal and made two free throws. It was just kind of a non-factor to be quite honest with you. He had a very brilliant third quarter. He had 13 of the team's 26 points on 6 of 6 field goal shooting, but the team was not really able to match his kind of play because they combined for 5 of 22. That's like 22%. So, yeah, he didn't really have everyone behind him in that one, and that's kind of why they were able to make some kind of significant stride at this major deficit but anyways despite his slow start he actually led the team in points he had 19 points on the game and he only had four assists now his numbers have been dropping in the rebound column and the assist column he had three rebounds i don't think it's anything to be too worried about i think that no one was just able to hit any shots so he'd probably be looking at the seven to eight range if the wide open ones were going in and that's kind of how it always works but yeah, I'm not going to be all too worried with that. I just think he had a rough start, and he looked like his usual self in the third quarter where he was just going right by defenses, crashing inside, getting and ones, getting the foul calls, or just straight up making layups. I think probably the player of the game, though, for the Thunder has to go to Ty Jerome. He hits a career high in a game that really had no bright spots to it whatsoever. He turned it into one. 18 points on the game, 6 of 10 shooting, and all 6 of those makes came from downtown. 6 of 8, he is hot as a pistol from the perimeter right now, and it's no surprise. I mean, he is a point guard slash shooting guard. You kind of play somewhere wherever you want to, but he takes up the ball a lot of the time, and he kind of just hovers around the 3. I always talk about it, but it's true. He just hovers around there, and defenses have not adjusted to that. They're not guarding him in the 26 foot area I mean that's just not a high quality look for anyone outside of like Steph Curry or Trey Young or someone of that nature so they'll give him they'll give him a lot of room they'll let him have that shot all day long and he'll take it like if he has a couple feet of breathing room he will pop a shot when it looks like he'd be surveying the field for an open pass you know so he gets you with the baseline cuts but also, when he's wide open, he'll take it. And he's shooting a ton over there. I don't know if I mentioned, but over half of his shots are coming from three, 57% of those. And they're going in. So he's had like maybe one or two cold games. But outside of that, he's been shooting 40% and above. This was his best. This was the pinnacle of his year, probably, I'd say. 
Orlando or not. Just drawing him constantly. And Atlanta did not really pressure him at all. It's kind of a shoot around for him. And he shot at all five areas, both corners, both wings, and the top of the key. So he was just getting really good reps in. It wasn't like he was just finding a hot spot and jacking up eight different tries. He was looking everywhere, and he was able to source a lot of the offense off the bench. And he also was able to chip in a little bit on the passing front to assist, and he also got a steal in the game. When you're looking past those two, it gets a little bit more barren. I will say Al Horford did kind of have a silent return game. He did have an all right moment, I'd say, probably in the first quarter, but dropped off a lot after that. He only had 11 points, but it took 13 shots to get there. Three of 13, two of six from downtown. He had six rebounds, that's all right, two assists, and he also had two steals and a block. So the defense is showing up in the stat sheet. He just wasn't able to make anything else kind of fall in for him so took that big gap of rest i think it was like four maybe even more than four days but he just wasn't able to kind of get it all together against clint capella and john collins you had two other guys who broke the double digits and it was teo maladone and kenrich williams they both dropped 10 points apiece off of the bench with teo i think you guys kind of know where he comes from i mean he's he's a catch and shoot guy right now but when he's able to command the second unit which he has not been able to do really until now he likes to go in a pick and roll offense and we did get to see a little bit of that from him he did get a couple of sweet runners off on the defense just split the defense come off of your screen and you should be able to arc it right over your defender did that so i liked what i saw from teo i thought that really nobody was too comfortable in the game but he made the best out of it. And same goes with Kenrich. I mean, he has been really hot from downtown compared to what we've usually seen from him. He just couldn't find it in this one. He only tried two threes, but both of them were off of the mark. So he just had to work inside. And as you all know, he is just a beast on the rebounding front. He had two offensive rebounds for those on defense. So six combined. And whenever he gets offensive rebounds, he'll just go right back up of it. I mean, he's a pretty big guy, six foot seven, I think like 220, maybe even 230 pounds. So yeah, I mean, he's got some muscle to him and he just grabs it, goes right back up. And, you know, even when he comes down low, he's a lot more agile than I think people would give him credit for. So he's able to get pretty nifty moves, get nice shot ups inside and able to get two points for the most part. Outside of that, that's where you kind of go to, you know, nobody was really finding anything. Shvi. He played 16 minutes in his debut, didn't make a bucket. He only shot twice. As I said, he was just kind of sitting in that corner. He wasn't a true integral part of the offense. And I kind of think that's what Shvi brings to the table. He's really just a catch-and-shoot guy that you give the ball to when he's wide open. He did have two wide-open shots. I think he probably had more than a couple open tries, but he just didn't get the ball when he was open. So I'm not going to take it against him. You know, it was a mediocre start. I didn't have the bar super, super high on his debut, but it's going to be a process with him. He's going to need to adapt to the system. He's more of that system player that we've always needed when it comes to shooting threes. And, you know, I don't know if a roster spot is guaranteed with him for the future, but if he wants to have that clarity, he's going to need to show up from downtown because that's what we brought him in for. Alexi Pokachevsky, he looked hot 
against the Grizzlies from outside. Could not make a shot in this game against Atlanta. 0 of 3 from distance, 2 of 11 overall. 4 points, 6 rebounds, and 2 assists on this game. Just didn't have the touch, I guess. I don't know. It's really just hot and cold with Alexei Pokachevsky, and this was a cold game for him. Lou Dort was extremely cold, too. 2 of 8 for 8 points. Able to get to the line twice, but I don't know. I just don't think anybody really had any real rhythm to feed off of in this game. That's kind of just how it is. I mean, great defensive game plan from Nate McMillan, as I've mentioned before. Just completely swallowing up any attempts at the paint, and you just kind of work off from there. One of the guys who's really been dominant in the paint lately has been Moses Brown, but he was just shut out. And I think it's due to the fact that he was going against people more his size. Like against the Bulls, they're probably the most like small ball team in the league. Right now, when you're talking about their actual roster, they don't really have a seven-footer on hand. You have Laurie Markkinen, but he's not really a five. I'd say Wendell Carter's more like that, but he's 6'10". So I think he could kind of abuse his height against them. When you're going up against Clint Capella, uh, just a big dude who leads the league in rebounding, great at shot blocking, and John Collins, who, yeah, he's not seven foot two, but he makes up for it with some crazy hops. Kind of makes it more difficult on him. So only shot two of seven to get five points at four rebounds. The bright side, though, three of those four came on the offensive end. Anyways, I think this is kind of a game that you want to put in the past. They're going to be playing their next game. They got a two-day break before their next game. They're going to be going up against the Houston Rockets, and they are the coldest team in the league. They're just trying to get so many ping-pong balls. They want to have the number one odds or the number one best odds, and that might actually help us if they don't get in the top four. We know it's going to be the number five pick in the upcoming draft but yeah they're 11 and 28 right now they're gonna get christian wood back they've had him i think for the last two games now and kevin porter jr's kind of rising so you go up against them you know i don't really know if there's a strategy to this one i think you just kind of play it out because before whenever houston was not on this major downward spiral you would say you know what let's give houston the win here or the no 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 I say, let's let's get the win here. Let's get Houston lost so we can strengthen our odds. Now, I don't really know if it's like that. So, just kind of play. See how it works out, and you go from there. But anyways, that's kind of what has been going on with the team, at least. That is what happened with them Thursday. Now, something else that happened, which kind of has glossed over the majority of news so far. has been some new rumors around the Thunder. And this is not major stuff, so I kind of see why people aren't raving about it that much. But the Adrian Wojnarowski podcast, I mean, he did a trade special. He probably does one every year. I have not been tracking his podcast for, I don't, I don't think I've tracked him for a year, but I, I kind of check him on and off. I always make sure to check up on some of these major ones when we get to an approaching deadline or something. And he had a couple guests on. He was just talking about, you know, different teams, what they were looking for moving on into the trade deadline, which is on March 25th. And he brought up the Oklahoma City Thunder. And he was talking about how you got the typical guys. George Hill is going to be on the market. Mike Muscala 
he's going to be on the market. Justin Jackson, he's going to be on the market. And even Kenrich Williams talked about how kind of underrated he has been. But yeah, he not just talked about them being on the market, but he talked about that they were actually getting offers on some of these guys. And for some of them, you know, I am not surprised whatsoever that they're going to get their calls. I mean, Mike Muscala, if you're going to give up a second round pick to get this guy, it makes 100% sense. It makes complete sense why you would try to chase after someone like that. Kenrich Williams, we don't know the exact price of him. And this is probably something I'll talk about in the next coming days because I think his, his trade value is kind of an enigma. But he's 26 years old, perfect piece in a bench. He will translate to any team in the league, gives you so much versatility when it comes to two through four positions. He can defend either of them. Such a great ball hawk. Defensive IQ is off the damn charts. And offensively, he's kind of improving from month to month, I would say. So there's a lot of a reason why a playoff team would want him. And I think that, you know, some of these other guys might be getting two to three calls. Kenneth Williams is probably getting calls in the double digits. I think everybody would want a piece of a guy who has such a cheap contract for the future and is going to be providing so much for you in a playoff run, not just for this year, but the next two years as well. So I, I know why he's getting that the offers, but I don't know if Sam Presti would just give him away. I think the other guys on this list, when you're talking about George Hill, Muscala, and Justin Jackson, you probably give them away. I don't think that's the same with Kenrich Williams. And with Muscala, a second probably would do it for you. Justin Jackson, this is one where it's like, whoa, who would want Justin Jackson? He's 25, last year of his rookie contract, and then he hits restricted free agency. And the only reason that I would kind of come up with that is, number one, he's going to be an expiring. I think in whatever draft he was, he's he was like right outside the lottery. So he's probably making around 4 mil right now. And I guess you can get that off the books, but... If you want to bring him back, he's probably not going to be getting that much anyways. I mean, he has not really dominated so far. I don't think he has had the best contract year. And it's partially because he hasn't gotten the time. But also, I just don't know if he would be cracking the regular rotation anyways. But he's just kind of here. I think that he is there for the taking for any sort of team. I don't know what team exactly would want him. Maybe it's more of a package deal where you want to get another three to four guy in a deal and Justin Jackson I mean he's a serviceable serviceable player I mean six foot seven not really that fast for a small four but you can put him there and then when it comes to power forward a little bit small but you can also put him there so he kind of glues in your second unit and that's that so I understand why maybe someone would be cool throwing him in but I don't know if a one for one or a second round pick for him would make much sense for any potential team other guys i get it though and with george hill we know he's been getting offers we know philadelphia has made an offer we know that the los angeles clippers have made an offer who's outside of that region that would be interested and before i would have told you the brooklyn nets i don't know 100 on that anymore i think that their assets really just lie in future second round picks i mean they kind of gave up everything to the houston rockets to get james harden and I think that the players that the Thunder would probably be interested anyways would be completely off the table. Like Nick Claxton is probably an untouchable unless you're getting something wild. You're not going to give up a young, I think he's like 21-year-old, for a 34-year-old who is on the second-to-last deal or second-to-last year of his contract. 
and I don't like I don't think it'd work out. So I think you roll them out. Philadelphia, as I've said, Paul Reed would be your main guy, but I don't think you'd be able to fetch him unless you're giving up draft assets. I am one that would actually be okay with that. I would be okay giving up the Warriors pick this season to get Paul Reed. And maybe that's because I'm just so high on the guy. I mean, I watched way too much G League basketball, so I kind of just like become way too like adapted and I don't even know. I don't even know how to call. But I, I just really am showing favoritism towards some of these G League guys. I think Paul Reed deserves all the credit in the world, though. I gave up Moses Brown some credit, and he made history this week. So, yeah, maybe Paul Reed could do that as well. Six foot nine, perfect guy to play at the four. Fits exactly what you need. He's kind of like an Isaiah Roby, except I'd probably say he's a little bit more built than Roby is at the moment, and he's a little bit more confident when he comes to his jumper. I think Roby's more of a three. Paul Reed can be more that four to five guy. I don't see him sliding down to the small forward, but yeah, he's 21. Fits exactly what you would want in the future. Hell, I'd say you give it up. I don't know if there's a a player in the late 20s or early 30s that would match what he could give you right now. I think he was a total steal by the 76ers and they could reap some benefits. Now, if the first round's too much, I get it. You just give him some second round picks and you probably... Just call it a done deal at that. But I don't know if Philadelphia would just be giving this guy away. So that's what that would be my guy. And then for the Clippers, it's so weird to make money work with them that I don't know how it would happen without a third team. I think that they need a third team. And there's rumors that they'd want Lonzo Ball too. How are you going to do that without a third team? All these deals for playmaking point guards need to involve a third team. Their money is so tight. And unless they're going to up Lou Williams or something, it's never going to work out. And I don't see why you'd swap Lou Williams for George Hill unless you really think that you need a point guard because Lou Will is still a very good shot creator, even though he's getting up in age. I think he's also 34. But I don't know. I think it's kind of an equal trade-off, and then you'd have to give up picks to make any sense for the Thunder to be making that deal. So I don't know. That's kind of just my take on that. And then when it comes down to the others, I don't think the value would be that wild. And I think Darius Miller, he's not on this list. He'd also just be a second round pick. Kenneth Williams is the only guy in that upper echelon, that upper bracket. And then you have like an Isaiah Roby, but I don't know if he would be on a table. I probably think that other GMs wouldn't be straying away from going after some of the guys under 23. They definitely offer it, but they would not be expecting any sort of yes from Sam Presti. Anyways, that's going to wrap up today's episode. I got a lot of March Madness to watch. I think you guys probably do too. So I'm going to be just staring at a screen for pretty much the entire day. Might have to do that tomorrow too. Perfect scheduling. Like every other team has a game today, except for us. A lot of teams have games tomorrow, I think. We don't have to deal with it out at all. So we get to watch the first round, 32 games with no Thunder basketball, and I love watching Thunder basketball, but man, there's something about March Madness. Like, you have to watch that first round. The first round is always magical. You get your Cinderella stories, and you just don't want to miss out on it. And with Thunder basketball on, you got to watch it too. And it's like, I don't want to be swapping channels, man. The only channels I want to be swapping between are like CBS, True TV, and TBS. So I'm going to be able to do that comfortably through the first 32 games. You guys are going to be able to as well. 
Might talk about some college basketball, depending on how the Oklahoma State Cowboys do. Or, you know, some of these other teams in Oklahoma. You got OU, you got Oral Roberts as a 15 seed. I think they get to play Ohio State if they end up defeating that that group. That is going to be crazy. I think Ohio State's probably the lowest of the two seeds. So, you know, potentially ORU has a good group of sharpshooters. So that would be wild. I'd definitely talk about it if it happens. But yeah, that's going to do it for me. I hope you all have a great rest of your day, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.